to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. I agree with Winnie the Pooh. This is such a great church. You guys are such great people that make saying goodbye so hard, but I am excited for what God is doing here. In fact, I'm really excited as I believe wholeheartedly that God has had his hand on Springville for generations, for years, and he still does. And where we're heading as a church excites me. So what we're going to do this morning, um, we're going to look into a, a passage of scripture to remind us where we've been, but more importantly, where we're supposed to be going. We've got to be encouraged by the people that have gone before us in our faith. And so we can continue to impact the world as we're going, as we're walking through it in our day-to-day life. And a lesson that I've learned time and time again from my time here is this. It's church, our lives, it's, it's really not about us. It's about God. And I so often make my plans about me, my job about me, my ministry about me, my service about me, my fun about me, everything, if I kind of boil it down and think about it, a lot of my decisions are about me. But we got to remember, our decisions should actually be about God, because it's not about us. It's not about me. And so, I want to, like I said, what I want to do this morning, I want to jump back. I want to look at a passage in Hebrews to see some of these great men and women of faith and the legacy of faith they are passing on, they have passed to us, and what is our job to do with that legacy they have given to us. Now, before we do that, when I was in high school, I fell in love with this sport called the discus. Often I would tell people I, I compete in track and field, and they'd look at me and go, I was a little heavier back then, okay, you're not a runner, are you? I was like, no, I I throw. I throw the shot put, the discus, and the javelin. The discus was my favorite. I loved it. But the funny thing about discus is you're by yourself. So what discus is, it's in high school, it's a 1.6 kilogram disc that kind of was a disc, so you know what a disc looks like. You're in a circle, you spin around, there's a net around in case you mess up, and you throw the disc 50, 60 meters, and it lands out in the field. And because it's such a heavy object, and because there's velocity and it gets a little bit wild, the, the shot put in discus circles are often like five minutes away from the track. So if you've ever been to a track event, where's all the hype? It's around the track. Right now, at the end of um, every high school year, we would compete in this um, track and field competition. It's called OFSA, so all the best kind of athletes would come together and compete to see who was the best in Ontario. And at every OFSA, I remember getting in my car, driving away from the track, so I can compete. Discus is lonely. Maybe your coach comes and and watches you if he's not too busy with his other athletes at the track. Yeah, your your parents are usually there, maybe a friend or two, but really, you're by yourself with your disc in the circle. You're relying on your training, your strength, and your skill, and and you're kind of just going at it by yourself. And so what I would do at, at the end of all of my throwing events, I'd always go back to the track. I'd hop in the car, I'd walk, whatever it was, a couple minutes, and we'd head back to the track because that was where the, the hoopla was happening. That's where all the fans and the commotion were. And at the end of every offset, the end of every usual like, big track and field event, there was a race called the relay. And so what the relay was is, this isn't a baton, this is my water bottle. They have something that kind of looks like this. And there's teams of four. So there's four people on a team, and then there's whatever, eight lanes of of teams. And the first person starts, and they run with a baton. 
and they sprint as fast as they can, and they hand it off to the second runner, right? And the runner kind of goes with his hand behind him or her, and they grab it, and they keep running. They pass it on to the third runner, and then they give it to the fourth runner. And what I love so much about this race is a couple things. You could have the very fastest, you could have Usain Bolt as number four, as your last runner, but if you don't get him the baton in time, you're not going to win the race. The fourth, the fastest runner has to depend on the faithfulness of the people before him. He has to depend on the teamwork, depend on the speed. It's a team event. And the other thing I loved about this event is the fans. Everybody came, everybody would finish all of their events, come back to the stands, and they would cheer, and they would scream, and they would yell, and I guarantee you, those runners running in that race got a little bit of an extra pep in their step. Just from the commotion. Seeing people scream and cheer for you just motivated them. And, and the amount of false starts that would happen in this race because of the commotion was insane. It was, it was really fun. But as I watched that race at the end of every competition, it reminded me of something. It reminded me what a beautiful picture it is to run in community. What a beautiful picture it is to depend on your brothers and sisters who are running before you. And what a beautiful picture it is to pass off the baton to people so they could run even faster. You see, the third runner was usually the slowest, goes right before the fourth runner who's the fastest. The first runner is the second fastest, and the second one is just somebody random, not random, but quick enough. But there was never any usual, nobody was really upset. They knew they were a unit, and they knew they had a job, and they stuck to their job, and they did it. And that's what this life that we live is all about. We are on a journey. We're on a race. We have gotten a baton from someone else. And our job is to be faithful, to do your job with that baton, and pass it off to someone else, to encourage someone else, to be encouraged by the people who have run before you, and encourage the next. And so there's a section in the book of Hebrews that we're gonna look at that talks about how we need to have faith and we need to be encouraged and we need to leave a legacy of faith for the next people to grab and so they could run with. So if I could have on the screen Hebrews uh, 12 verse one, we're gonna start there. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're gonna actually stop there for a second. I think we gotta jump back a previous chapter, so if you're with me in your Bibles, flip back to Hebrews 11, we got to have to have a glimpse, like what is the author talking about, this great cloud of witnesses? So we go to Hebrews 11, it says, faith is the, uh, now faith and confidence, is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. And then this author goes, so he explains what faith is. It's having confidence in what you hope for. So I'm, I'm hoping for something, and I'm, I'm sure about it. It's going to happen, even though I haven't seen it come to completion yet. And then who are these agents? Well, what I'm going to kind of do is I'm going to kind of rifle through this next part to kind of give us a picture. And I want to see if you can kind of pick up what these agents, what these characters were commended for. Remember, this isn't about us. It's about God. Verse four, by faith, Abel, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. Verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. Verse seven, by faith, Noah built an ark. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham went. 11, by faith, Sarah had a child. 17, by faith, 
Abraham offered his son to God as a sacrifice. 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. 21, by faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's son. 22, by faith, Joseph gave instructions. Verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him. Verse 24, by faith, Moses chose to be mistreated and left Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith, Jericho fell. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute was not killed. You see, these people weren't commended for the results. These people weren't commended for their hard work. These people weren't commended for all their planning. It says right here, by faith by faith. And if we flip back a couple verses to verse 13, this is what it says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Let me ask you, how comfortable are we living in this earth? Can we say we're foreigners and strangers? Can we say we're living for something greater. We're living for something off in the distance, something that we're hoping for, something that we know is going to come, but we can't see it yet. Or are we so wrapped up in today, living for the here, the now? Even when things didn't come as were promised, knowing they will one day, but not seeing the benefits in the moment, are we still having enough faith in where we're going to know things will come as promised? It's an interesting mentality that these people were commended for. And they were commended for it because their actions weren't about themselves. Their actions were about God. And what I love about each of these people now, there's a lot of different stories there, and if you're unfamiliar with them, you can go back throughout Scripture and read those stories and see kind of what happened. But what I love with each of these people is they were normal. They're your everyday people. And we love, and I actually did this a couple weeks ago, we, we make these Bible characters up into these heroes and, and we think, I could never be like so-and-so. I can never be Daniel. I can never be Moses. I can never be David. But when you think about it, they're actually not that different than us. Yes, they lived in a different time. God blessed them in different ways. But if we look at the list in the Hall of Faith, because this is, this is what this chapter is called, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith, we have Rahab, prostitute, commended for her faith. We have Moses, a murderer, commended for his faith. We go, ah, I've made too many mistakes. I'm just going to sit in that and not do anything about it. No, no, we have to have faith that God can restore who we are. We can go in the direction he set for us and we could be used despite our baggage, despite our sin. We have to deal with that, which we're going to get into in a second. And here's the cool part of this hall of faith, this, these characters we could learn from. We are now heirs to their example. Be encouraged that these people went before us. They had faith. They impacted the people around them, impacted the people around them so much they were recorded in our holy scriptures. For us to read today, be encouraged by, grab the baton from, run with the baton right now. 
so we can pass it off to the next generation. If we go back to verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Scholar kind of, there's two kind of trains of thought. Scholars debate what this means. The one train of thought is it's about those who have gone before us and are cheering us on. So picture that relay race, all those people in the crowds are screaming, there's hoopla, there's all this stuff going on. Run faster, run faster, run faster. There's a, a train of thought that believes that's what these cloud of witnesses are. There's another side to the coin where other scholars believe it's those people have fought the good fight They've finished the race, you know, Paul's verse. They've kept the faith. They've run. They've done their best. They've been faithful. And now we're to look back at these stories. We're to look back at their lives, be encouraged, and continue to run. And I believe it's kind of both. And I think the question is, have we even grabbed the baton? Do we actually know where we're going? Or are we so distracted by this culture of you go get yours, I'll go get mine? I'm too busy. I want the next. I want the bigger, better, and flashier. What are we running towards? Who is inspiring us? Who's filling our minds? Who's telling us where to go? We have a race. We have a destination. But I think we make our lives about us and we miss where we're going. We get off course. We get distracted. And that's why we need to have a hope for what is to come and an assurance that it will come. That is what faith is. And what I love so much about our church, as I said, I've been reflecting, I've been thinking about stories, and, and I've talked to a lot of people here in my 26 years of being a part of this church. And I remember being in the back, old part of the church. And it's probably a part of the church most of you have never been. And it's this little, it's a gym now, but it used to be a little chapel. It was the original building of our church. And I was back there, we store some of our youth stuff. So it was after a youth event, I was kind of putting some stuff away and cleaning up because it gets a little messy back there sometimes. Um, and one of our, a staff member came up to me and, and we began talking and she was here um, way before I was and she was sharing with me stories about that little chapel. And she grabbed pictures and she showed me, she, this is where I got married. And she showed me the beautiful balcony on top and the beautiful aisles. And, and she talked about the faithfulness of the pastors of that time. There's men and women of faith, she would say. She talked about the members and the congregants. They were people who loved the Lord and God blessed their faithfulness. Blessed them so much that they started growing, they started busting at the seams and so they knew they had to take a step of faith. And so what did they do? They built the old church, okay? You know, the chapel and the tank and the downstairs stuff. They came together, raised money, and built the church where I grew up with that beautiful orange carpet, right? But what I love, what she was sharing with me about that was they were men and women who gave more than they had, and they helped build after working a full-time job, they would come on evenings, they would come on weekends, they would come on long weekends and give their time to build the church because they knew that building wasn't about them. It was about God. It was gonna allow them to bring more people to Sunday, to impact more lives for Christ. They knew where they were running and they, they felt God put a vision on their, for our church and they proceeded into it. And so many lives were blessed because of their obedience. And then the same thing happened. More men and women came to our church and were faithful, grabbed the baton from the people before them, 
and we started growing. And we outgrew the chapel back there. And isn't it funny that, and I don't know the whole story in its entirety, and I encourage you to go talk to somebody who does, that members of our church bought up the 10 acres around this church. They took a step of faith, they bought the land. And it just so happens that we need that land to build this Costco-like looking building, right? And so these people took a step, they bought the land, and then they sold it back to the church so we could afford to build this building. And you might think, and, and it's kind of the joke, I say the Costco, when people say, where do, you, where do you work? I say, you know that Costco-looking building with a chapel attached to it? Yeah, that's Springville, that's where I work. Um, but we can think, oh, we have this big building, we're so great, you know, we have all these things, look at us, but remember, it's not about us. It's about God, and he's blessed us with this building. He's blessed us so we can use this to impact more lives for him. This isn't for us to be like, oh, look at us, look at this gym we have, it's pretty cool, eh? Well, it is pretty cool, let's use it, right? God has a plan for this church, and I've seen it for years, and I've heard the stories for generations. But we gotta remember where we're running. We gotta remember the people that have come before us. We gotta do our job as we're running right now, we're up. We gotta pass it off to somebody faster. Somebody that's gonna continue the race, continue to have faith. There are stories, and like I said, talk to some of the people that have been here, their families have been here from generations. The stories of God's faithfulness in hard times and good times, the stories of the men and women of faith that have come through here, it's so inspiring. I even think about our youth ministry because that's my context. And I think about the thousands of kids that have come in these doors over the, I don't know how many years youth ministry has been running here. The youth directors that have come before me and have served faithfully. They had mazes and they had these crazy ideas and yeah, we broke some rules and that kind of stuff. We had fun, but we did it to impact students' lives, to walk with students' lives. Springville has a rich history of valuing students because they're the next generation of our church and our world. And looking back and having conversations, me, reminded, me being reminded of the people that have went before me, all the good times and the hard times, encouraged me to do the best I could. And there's good times and hard times and bad times, but we need to go into that mentality with the place we, God puts us in. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's encouraging us? Do we have a purpose here? Guys, there's a rich, rich history here at Springville. Men and women of faith, having hope and assurance for what's unseen. Let's continue that race. Let's continue that. Let's make that what we're known about for being men and women who have faith and are passing on the baton and are running strong with it. Springville is full of regular people sowing a seed into the future. And that's one of the things I'm gonna miss the most about it here how deeply we care for others and our community. But we're faced with this present reality. We come out of COVID. We come back to church. Looks a little different. There's new faces. There's half faces. There's people that I knew my whole life that aren't coming back. We, we're in this transitional moment as a church. What are we going to do about it? Well, let's keep reading Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I'm going to confess something that it's my last time speaking, so do with it as you please. I am a huge UFC fan. I know it's bad. I know it's not good. I was up yesterday afternoon watching this big fight. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But I love watching the UFC. What it is, it's MMA. It's two guys or two girls in a ring, and they duke it out until one of them falls over and, and gets hurt. And you would think, I have concussion brain problems. Why would I like to watch a sport where people get bashed and get concussions? I don't know, but I think there's something so cool about the sport and some one lesson we can pull out of it. And this is what it is. It says in this verse, right? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When you're getting ready for a fight, you, you go into something called training camp where you turn your phone off, you get away from the world, a lot of them move away from home, and they kind of just train, 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 and they put on as much muscle as they can, they get as quick as they can, and then it's a couple weeks before the fight. And it's not the healthiest, but what they do is they shed weight. They have to make weight, and they take off all of that excess weight that they put on to build the muscle that was needed because that extra fat that they put on is gonna slow them down. And in a combat sport, when your job is to knock out the other person, if you're slow, if you're not prepared, you're going to get knocked out. It it's, could be life or death, it's, it's serious. And so these UFC fighters take it really serious. You see pictures of some of these fighters six months before the fight, big, and then you see them right like in the weigh-ins, they're tiny, and then they put on some more weight right before the fight to build up the nourishment. But there's a picture there I think we can learn from. If we're going to be on this race, if we're going to be going towards the goal, we have to shed those extra pounds. And I don't mean fat. I mean the sin that so easily entangles us. Anything that hinders us. You might think, well, why? Like, I always struggle, I wanna have fun, and these things are fun, and I don't understand why God wouldn't want me to do this. It's a great question. Wrestle through that. But we have to come to a spot to know, you know what, if God, the creator of my life, says this isn't the best thing for me, and if I'm going to follow Christ, I have a goal, I have a job description as a Christian, I need to get rid of those things that are slowing me down. To be a little bit overweight isn't bad, but to be a little bit overweight in the octagon, you could get seriously hurt. It's the same thing with sin. It's not too bad in the world, right? Those who wouldn't profess Christ, you could do whatever you want. But if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Christ follower, we need to shed off those things that are hindering. And it's not, oh, like, I want to be this great person, look at me, pride. Remember, it's not about us. We make it about us. It's not. It's not. It's about God. So let's throw off everything that entangles, everything that slows us down. And another thing I love about our church is we stand for truth. We are a church that values prayer, values truth. Pastor Ed stands up here week in, week out, and teaches the hard truths. It's offensive to our culture. And we have to decide, are we willing to run in truth? Or are we going to try to adapt truth to fit our needs? Because you have that decision to make, and you're free to make that decision. But if you're going to be running the race, you have to follow the instructions. You have to know the route. Let's keep reading Hebrews 12, verse 1b. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I was running uh, grade 12 gym class 
we had to go do a, I think it was a 12K run. And I've never run that far in my entire life and I don't enjoy running. And I remember talking to one of the guys who was a runner and, and he, what he said to me was, was fascinating. He said, okay, Greg, this is the longest you've ever run. There's a couple things you need to know. The first thing is you have to know where you're going. If you just run aimlessly, you're not gonna pace yourself. You're not gonna make the right, right turns and you're gonna go too far, you're gonna, is this not gonna work out? You have to know where you're going so you can get back. Okay, so we, we mapped out where we were going. And then he said to me, now you know where you're going? Just take one step. Forget about the finish line. Take one step. Now, a little bit different as we're following Christ. Yes, we need to plan out what's happening. Not fully, we need to know where we're going, I should say. We need to have, okay, I need to throw off the sin that entangles. I need to know the word. I need to be faithful. And then all I gotta do is take one step in, in front of its other. I need to take one step at a time. And I gotta fix my eyes on that finish line. I know where I'm going, and now I just gotta focus on the next step. And I think we, I know me, in our culture, I love to plan. Okay, at, at 20, I'm gonna do this. At 25, I'm gonna do this. At 30, I'm gonna do this. At 35, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna retire and have a great life. Whatever it is, right? We plan, and planning is good. Planning is really good. But when it comes to the race we're in, when it comes to impacting our community for the Lord, we need to have faith, hope, and assurance of where we're going. And then we need to take one day at a time, one step at a time, doing our very best to run with that baton. To not go like haywire and then get burnt out. To not be so lackadaisical that we forget to even pick up the baton. To hold the baton and take one step forward. Then when hard times come, instead of licking our wounds, we go, no, that was tough. I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna have faith, and I'm gonna take the next step forward. That's what it means here when it says to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Guys, it's already been laid. We have the greatest example. We just gotta be faithful. Who was it laid out by? Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such an opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's our example. Jesus is who we fix our eyes on. He is the one we pick up the baton from as well. He says, follow me. He says, do as I do, and you will do greater things. What? How are we living? Again, are we picking up the baton? Are we making our lives about us? Or are we making it about Jesus, the one who endured such opposition from sinners? We're kind of living that right now, too. Opposition from our world, opposition from our friends, maybe even opposition from our families. And should we turn away and try to just focus on the things we can agree on? Should we adapt this kind of progressive way of thinking that as long as I feel loved and you feel loved, we are loved, it's all good? Or do we see what Jesus stood for and how he was treated, and yet he kept the faith? and be inspired and encouraged by that so we can stand for what is right, even in the hard times, stand for what is true, even when it's confusing. As I leave Springville, I am so thankful for these lessons I've learned. Time and time again, it's not about me, it's 
much as I try to make it about me. It's about God. Time and time again, I'm stressed, I'm worried, I have a ton of anxiety about what's happening. Look at what's happened before. Look at how God blessed those who were faithful. Okay, we can do this. The interactions with people encouraging me. Right? I remember there's a couple things, right? Pastor Ed standing up here, like I said, unashamed, teaching the word. That impacted me. There's, there's men and women I've talked to over the years that have told me stories about them using their business or them using their job to be a light in darkness. In the real world, I get paid to share the gospel with students. People in the real world using their business to lead people towards Christ as they're also doing what their business is supposed to do. That impacted me. I remember getting prayer cards from seniors, people I didn't even know. I've been praying for you since you were born. That impacted me. I remember being an intern and and youth was at a crazy time and somebody stepped in to walk with the interns out of his own heart for the ministry, even though he had a full-time job. He came week in, week out and helped us encouraged me. That impacted me. Simple acts, guys, impact the people around you. So let's be a church that continues to impact. Let's be a church that continues to run the race, that has that baton in both hands, taking one step ahead of it, it's the other, and fixing our eyes on the finish line, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and having faith. So let me ask you a question. How are you impacting the people around you? Have you picked up the baton? When you pass off the baton, what's it gonna look like? What are the things that are entangling us that we need to maybe shed? When I wake up every morning, what is my first priority? These are the kind of questions that will center and focus into what's truly important, where we truly need to have our hearts in mind. And as I started, right, Winnie the Pooh, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. It's hard to say goodbye when you're leaving such an amazing place. And so be encouraged this morning that the people have gone before you for generations have been faithful. We're faced with some challenges right now, coming out of a pandemic, there's different things going on. Be encouraged that it's your time to go through some trials, some good times, to be known as men and women of faith, that the next generation could look back and go, wow, imagine if they didn't buy that land, what would we do? Imagine if they didn't come after work, after school to build this chapel, where would we be? When the next generation in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years looks at this place, what's it gonna be known for? I'm confident it's going to be men and women who are faithful and God's faithfulness to the obedience of Springville. So thank you for the amazing 26 years, the seven years on staff, and we will see you guys around.